Hey everyone, you're listening to the House of Mountain Podcast. Uh, I'm Doug. I'm Max. And we're here with our very old friend, Zach Robinson. Hi, friends, old friends. Um, we all met in college at Northwestern, uh, where we were all in a band together called The Earth is a Man. And early on in the House Who Mountain catalog, we released one of Zach's albums as DAD. Um, more recently, Zach's been working as a composer on the Cobra Kai TV series on Weird, the Weird Al movie, um, and the Twisted Metal TV series, which is coming out soon. Um, and we're all kind of convening together because it's the 10th anniversary of our album release together, The Construct, which came out in July of 2013. And we kind of just wanted to get together to chat and reflect and see what Zach has been up to the last decade that he hasn't put out an album as DAD. <laughs> That's a nice way to <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I was trying to think like we probably met you in what, like 2009 or something. So Eight. it's probably 2008. That's 15 years ago. So we've, we've made yeah. 15 years of friendship. That's crazy. It's disgusting. Actually, our friendship has a, a learner's permit. It can, it can, yeah. it can drive <laughs> as long as the mom or dad or guardian is present. You know what I mean? And it's worth mentioning that Doug and I met on Facebook prior to me go going to Northwestern because I saw Doug wanted to start a math rock band or I wanted to start a math rock band. And Doug was like, I do too. And then we became friends and we started a math rock band. Yeah, yeah. Doug, Doug and I were also Facebook friends before we met each other IRL. And then we, I think we unfriended each other at some point. We didn't like, meet for a whole year. Like, I don't know who this person is. Because, like, you know, like back in the day when you were, like, going to, you know, you're headed off to college and Facebook was just like a, a brand new thing. You would like look at other people's like music lists and it'd be like, Oh, yeah. this guy likes, you know, hella or something, you know, it's like, yeah, I like hella. Like well, there were all these like Facebook groups too, where it'd be like 500 people being like Northwestern, like class of 2011, like let's go baby. And yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you got like 200 friend requests and you're like, I'm about to be so popular. And then like it's true. you get there and like you meet very few of the people. Yeah. Or true. you meet or you meet all of them, but you never say hi to them ever. Like you true. never acknowledge yeah, yeah. that you're Facebook friends with them. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's like the, the smooth move. So like yeah. in this time period, can you kind of talk about the origins of the DAD project? Um, I know that there was this like 2009 album that came out when we were in college, Super Motives. Um, but yeah, tell us why you kind of wanted to start this project and what the sort of early days were like. It all starts with Zach Pop, really, you know. It really does. Zach <laughs> Pop was a deep cut from 2008, summer of 2008, where I like got Logic Pro and was like discovering Logic and made like a synth pop album for my friend's birthday. Um, and Wait, that whose birthday, whose birthday was that? My friend Alex Fischel. Okay, hell yeah. Uh, we're still still good friends to this day. Uh, um, and when I got to school, I was studying composition uh, at Northwestern, and I had Logic Pro, but hadn't really experimented with it. And DAD kind of started um, in the dorm in Willard, uh, and I just was trying to figure out Logic and trying to like make sense of everything, and that was my first DAW. And I was using Sibelius most of the time at Northwestern. Yeah. And like, I never really like sequenced stuff. Um, and then congruently to that, 
MySpace was still a thing, especially MySpace music. I would say MySpace music was was more of a thing than MySpace was. Yeah, yeah. And MySpace music, there was a big kind of what is now called synthwave scene on there. And I somehow came across like some of these like really early synthwave. I call it second wave synthwave. I could even tell you the first and second, third yeah, wave. Tell, wait, so what's the first? Okay, okay. So first wave is, this is my, this is me talk. Like I designate yeah, yeah. these. First wave is like, basically the euro synthwave movement which is like mid aughts like 2005 valerie collective which is like college um i mean kavinsky and like the ed banger kind of crew that was doing that right that was more of like the hat blog house like electro pop stuff then second wave synthwave was what i was is the myspace era in my opinion where you have like a lot of these groups like rosso corsa collective who we'll get to later because i ended up working with them but like miami knights 1984 laser hawk future cop um electric youth um and and that's kind of where i saw all this stuff on on myspace and i was just very inspired by it and i've always been inspired by kind of um i don't know if necessarily the 80s but just like the imagery that the 80s evokes and i mean it kind of all ties into what i do now which is film music and i love just i loved the aesthetic i loved the visuals i loved like it was something different too it was like super new like i had not heard anything like that and i think it just inspired me so i started writing um just kind of that type of synth music like super 80s 80s style something as 80s as i could get with the resources that i had which was all soft synths um I mean, I was in the dorm. So it was not like I just had a MIDI keyboard. Yeah. So the guitar and and the soft synths. And then I brought it to my composition teacher who I showed him um, Miami. Oh my God, I like forgot the name of my song. <laughs> I, I, I listen to both these albums. It, I don't think it's, is it my, I don't, no, I'm, it's I'm Miami. I'm pulling it up. I have it like in I my. I can't Instagram. believe I forgot the name of Miami my Miami Thunder. Song. Miami Thunder. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. God. That was the first one I ever wrote, and I brought it to Jay Allen Yim, my composition teacher, who only did like really experimental atonal music, and he fucking loved it and really helped me produce it. Honestly, hell yeah, um, that's great, cool guy, then super cool. And and I just ended up over that next year, kind of like creating just a bunch of songs, which turned into the EP Supermotives, which isn't really it's only on Bandcamp, it's not on streaming services, but. I love. I, I just. I, I thanks, used to jam those those tracks so much. Like the look of being old is a band. That's, I mean, that's my favorite. Like that, yeah, that, yeah. and that was kind of like where I really. There's some of it still holds up actually, and I think one some of it does not. But I think that that one in particular, I'm very proud of. Still, I'll listen to to yeah. that. And that one was the one that got picked up by Pitchfork, and like that kind of like helped me kind of establish myself in that kind of synth music scene, but. Yeah, you know, it kind of it kind of just became a thing that I would do live in Chicago, and then I focused mostly on composition and then playing with with you guys. So like, it wasn't, you know, it, it was always kind of just like a fun thing that I did. Uh, Wait, so yeah. when you're talking about the discovering the quote unquote second wave of synthwave and seeing the '80s elements, you know, like the aesthetic everywhere. Did that like tap into your 80s ness that was already innate or did that like 
spark something new. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like yeah. Were you, like, were you always like, oh man, this is my shit. Like, this is my aesthetic from when you were maybe or maybe or, it was always innate. Like, I feel like I mean, I always loved Blade Runner. I always felt like a connection to like that type of thing. And yeah, I yeah. think, and it, I feel like it, it probably awoken something in me. And like, I always really loved kind of like retro future stuff. The look of being old is a reference to Logan's run. Like that, the samples in that are from Logan's run. Like I always loved that kind of like visions of the future via the seventies and eighties. Right. Um, like you probably had a bunch of things that you were interested in growing up. And then the synth wave wave two like awaken that one quadrant a lot or something, you know, like. Absolutely. And it all, it all ties back to like imagery and aesthetic because that's really like what kind of fuels me. I wasn't scoring DAD to picture. I was, but in my head, I always had kind of visuals for it. Yeah. And when you say like visuals, like, are you kind of saying that more so than like eighties musical influences, your influences were film and composition and like, I mean, I guess like visual art, but like we're we're talking about movies for the most part here. We're talking about sci-fi yeah. and we're talking about like action movies, like more so than like you going out and like listening to LPs. I I think that's totally correct. And I think that the thing about Synthwave is, is that it's not, or at least that era was, you know, that music doesn't really sound like the 80s it's nostalgic of an era that is kind of like made up in this like collective hive mind internet head yeah so it is all about evoking a nostalgia that didn't really exist the way that the music kind of frames it to be mm -hmm. and i find that really really interesting um and that's kind of i love my favorite type of kind of like synthwave music is the is the very kind of like um i mean mitch murder you know, is, is my, is kind of like my all time. I feel like he just like nails it every time because he gets the, there's these ref like musical references, not, not necessarily in the, in the instruments and the timbres of the instruments and the synthesis. It's the, it's the musical imagery that it evokes. And, um, I think he has the sense of like the strongest ev evocation of, of all that imagery. Well, also all the people that not all, but I'm guessing many of the people that are in this scene along with you, we're not really around for the eighties, so to speak. Right. Sure. Like, 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 I mean, I was, you were 89, right? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I was, I was like, I mean, I still meet people who are like, you weren't around in the eighties. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, but I guess what I mean is like, there's no way for them to access primary source, like memories about, about that era. Like it's like, right. it has to be refracted somehow or, or, you know, imagined. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and it comes through like in these very, I think, interesting ways because a lot of the ways we're framing it are through like Blade Runner sci-fi like movies, which are very dystopian, have a lot of angst about like the Cold mm -hmm. War, have a lot of angst about like technology. And then there's a lot of these sort of like action movies, you're more kind of Top Gun like things, which I think have a, that sort of music has a big influence on this too. And like those have more of this like, super like usa like war energy like reagan egoism yeah yeah, yeah yeah so like it's it, the a lot of the sort of influences especially in the cinematic universe are like um i don't even really know what i'm getting at here but like they no, i see your point yeah i mean like they're, they're they're channeling like first of all like kind of intense 
almost like violent, like, like, you know, cataclysmic like feelings, uh, like, especially in the sci-fi case, like you were saying, dystopian elements mm-hmm. everywhere. And like, maybe it's a balance between the anxiety of that and like the, like optimism of like a top gun where it's like, like we, we are like the strongest, like we will win. Like we like America. And like, yeah. wait, 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 Zach, wait, really quick. Didn't you like play something with like the top gun composer? Or yeah. Something? Do you want to, do you want to get to that in my chronological history? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk like, about it now. Or, or, okay. We mentioned top gun. So really quick, just break that out. Like, please. Like, I, okay. I, I, I in, last summer I was in Spain. We were performing the Cobra Kai score with an orchestra in Spain at a film music festival. Harold Faltemeyer was also performing at the music festival. Composer of and Axel F. Composer of Axel F. <laughs> yeah. Great. Whose great grandchildren do not have to work because of Axel F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not including the billion dollars that Top Gun 2 had made you know, a week earlier to this festival. Um, but yeah, he was performing and uh, I was asked to play guitar with him on Top Gun Anthem and he played on a grand piano Top Gun Anthem and then I came out and duetted with him. And he yeah. looked at me, eye, con- eye contact and a nod and a fucking fist in the air. When yeah, I that's and it was, it was insane. He is an, the nicest man. I, we, we correspond occasionally. I'm trying to get him to LA. Um, <laughs> Wait, so does he stay, does he stay in Europe? Is he like German or yeah, something? Yeah, he's German. He lives in okay. Munich. Okay, I got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was also going to add to what you were saying, like all those, you know, the the adjectives that we were using to kind of describe. It, I think wonder is a really big aspect of it, and it actually is. There's a lot of dark wave synth stuff, which I actually feel like kind of comes later. Yeah. Um, in the in the, the third wave of synthwave is post drive, by the way. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's kind of when it goes mainstream, right? But I think that the optimism and that's kind of DAD had a lot of optimism, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of major, and there's a lot of like there's a lot of just kind of wonderment and awe in the tracks. And I think even the ones that I see like still get streamed the most on Spotify are the ones that kind of fit into that. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that, yeah, it, in addition to wonder, I think of it as kind of like a playful, like, jauntiness. Like, what's that? Oh, George and Jonathan with the with the wagging finger. Like, those dudes are like your homie. So good. They're I love like them. That. So good. But I, like, I hear this music, and it's just like, no, no, no. You know, like, it has that, like, <laughs> sassiness. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like it's just kind of like... Like, like it's like it's almost like a, like a teen movie from the 80s or something, you know, where... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the synth wave that's kind of reminiscent of this John Hughes soundtrack that never really existed. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and what you're talking about with this more like, like super sassy, like finger waving energy is especially the vibe of super motives. And then the construct, which I think yeah. we should start moving into um, yeah. as some of that, but balances it with like maybe more mature themes, more like ambient zones, more like, you know, the first track is like a straight up like intro to a movie, like credits, yeah. like like mystical, inviting vibes, and not necessarily like thinking of things as verse, chorus, songs, but having a more um, zoomed out approach. So I guess we're getting into talking about the construct, which is the album we talked about. How we're celebrating ten years of the construct in the world. So yeah, working on the construct between Super Motives and the album release, like. 
how did the album come together? What were your goals in like, you know, getting something new and exciting out? And what were your intentions in making a, in making instrumental music? Like, how did you kind of go about getting another album together in like a much, I guess, bigger scope? It took forever. I mean, it, it took from 2009 to really write up to when I released it to really just get 10 tracks out. And yeah. it was a big struggle for me. And it's like, I still kind of don't know why it took so long. I, I think I was writing all the time and I was writing with you guys and I was writing in composition class and everything. And I was yeah. doing short films and everything. And, and I think I just like, I, I wrote a lot of DAD material cause I played a lot and I needed to have kind of stuff to play live, but I never felt confident enough to, uh, to release it. And I think it was really after, just until like after school ended. So we graduated in 2012. And then I was, you know, back home living with my mom as I had my first internship, which would later turn into my first job. And I just was like, needed some type of like musical. I was, I was away from like everything that kind of inspired me in Northwestern. And I needed to kind of just figure some new stuff out. And um, it just was a culmination. I think like, go from graduating i probably had about 70 percent of the album done but i didn't know what was the album and then i just had to figure out like what what were the last three to four tracks that i wanted to uh mm -hmm. to put out and one of them was i mean the opener is a reject from telescope which is the short film that doug and i oh yeah oh, yeah telescope I've heard about that. yeah and star echoes which is the final track has another reject portion from telescope which I kind of put into Star Echoes, but um, it, uh, yeah, it just took a while. It took a while. And also, of course, like, you know, working with, with Charlie and Sharia or Carl, how does, what does he go by now? Charlie or Carl. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie or Carl yeah. USA gold. Um, and like finding them and like co-producing that track with them. Like that was one of the last, uh, love will make you stay is the one i'm talking about and, like that was one of the last pieces of the puzzle and um i'd never done a non-instrumental track before uh and that came out great but yeah it just took a long time and i didn't think i was releasing anything like special i just wanted to release it for my own like sake i just needed to get it out and i still really uh the thing that i really like about my job is that it always comes out and like I write all this stuff and then it comes out in the world and I feel fulfilled. Even if I don't love it, I feel like it's out there. And that was a huge struggle for me. And I think for a lot of uh, artists. Well, I mean, there's also the idea of working on your own terms, making an album <clears throat> that you want to present in like a solo project that has infinite like capacity to be delayed or to be, tinkered with or to be you know like like shelved you know it's like there's no real deadline looming it's like okay well maybe this is not quite ready yet you know but like in, in, in a work context for you it's like okay this thing is due on this date like it has to come out like i'm 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 focusing and like into the funnel of finishing it so i mean i guess the fact that the construct took so long just could, could have been a factor of that like you wanted to perfect it or wanting to you know like tailor it to a release that wasn't tied to something else you know what i mean like yeah and definitely also like with the support of 
you guys being like, Hey, well, we're, you had just started. Yeah. And you were like, let's it's like, like, our, like fourth release or something. Yeah. yeah. I think it's 12. It's in 12. It's I was going to say it's in the, okay. in the low tens, but yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys were like, let's do a tape release for it. And like, that was incredibly inspiring to me. And I was like, okay, like that sounds great. And we had Ross, of course, the records do the, do the digital. And it just was all there. And I think like I had already had kind of a following. I just hadn't released an album. So it was kind of nice just to get it out there. And then like, I think the other thing that really like helped blow it up was the Orion beach video, which oh, yeah. Campbell, Campbell, Campbell Logan, Logan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, who goes by Evie now, but um, like they did an amazing, just a truly amazing video. Oh, yeah which I know has gotten them tons and tons of work since it just like if you really trace it back, but that video was incredible. And look, NPR picked it up, you know, and like all that stuff came from, from that. And I think a lot of people heard the album from, from the video. Yeah. For our listeners and viewers, I would describe this video that Zach is talking about as like a Nintendo 64 aesthetic, low polygon, like CGI like a, like a wave race yeah. Yeah. that then goes more into like a maybe Banjo Kazooie DK 64 vibe <laughs> where the wave runners are like kind of worshiping this like kind of like obelisk thing. Thing, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. polygonal obelisk. Yeah, we'll include yeah. a link in the YouTube yeah. down Check below. Out our description for the link. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean it, it is a really like really really striking video and just like demonstrates the extent of Evie's like process that it, it's like fully rendered, all CGI, beautiful world, like just like flowing oceans and like, you know, fantastical beings and stuff. And like, it, yeah, I think you're right that that definitely caught some attention for sure. And it, and it was the first time that I had seen like DAD to picture kind of like that. And yes. I was like, this is kind of what it was meant to meant to be. Before yeah. we get before we get into that angle, because I think that's a obvious like transition into like you know working towards making music to picture, I kind of want to like touch on your era of playing live back in the day, because I have such like amazing memories of like your shows and like your sets, and I like I, I I'm just curious about or like if you could describe your set up and you're like your mentality when playing live like way back in the day like we're talking about like 2010 or something you know like like or like what environments would you play in and how would you approach those sets totally um so when i played live which i played live often as da i i did i had live versions of all the songs and i would just that would just mean you know taking out synth melodies uh taking out the guitars that i wanted to play play, yeah having something to play. So I was always playing. It wasn't like a DJ set or anything. I was always playing and performing something. I would have a guitar, um, and they, it was all just kind of MIDI controlled. I would have maybe have a synth, you know, like a hardware synth, like my Juno JX3P was kind of like the first hardware synth that I had. So I would have that. And then I have the guitar and, and just like running it through effects and harmonizers and stuff. And it was always about like putting on the show. And I think in Chicago, you know, I played a bunch of like house parties and warehouse parties. And like, I have very nostalgic memories of of that. And uh, it was always just very ruckus, like people like surrounding me. And there was one party in particular, there's a video, maybe I'll find it. I think your ex-girlfriend, Kate, 
took the video, Doug. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just an amazing video of like of GAD Live in Chicago, and I love it. And it's playing the Yell remix, which is so 2009. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and then and, and I would play live often, even after the construct too. And um, it was always just such. It was so much fun. It was it was really fun. I, I mean, that was, that, that was kind of like your like DIY era. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of like mm -hmm. you being involved in like you know like like an underground culture in that sense. You know, like yeah, yeah. playing parties your friends were throwing, playing gigs that were like you know. Like, and I could play the the fun thing about DED is like you could. You, DAD could open up for like I opened up for college in LA once, and he just did kind of like a DJ set. I opened up for like bands at parties. It it kind of like yeah. worked really well with like a bunch of different. I played, you know, I played with Anna Montagucci all the time, yeah. and with oh. George and Jonathan, and like yeah, it's just it it worked a lot in in like different. It was very modular in that sense, and it was just you like with a computer and some gear. So like you post up wherever, yeah, you want. like yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. And yeah, so this is also like the same time, like in this like peak blog era where like people can also be writing about it and like you can put out a single and it's like on pitchfork without much of like any sort of label behind you. It's like a very kind of magical time full of hope and wonder, like we're talking <laughs> about earlier, where like you can just play these huge house parties, you can just get these blog write-ups just for having music, and like it can be elevated in a way that like that doesn't really happen in the same way now no you're right you're right i mean like it, it takes a certain amount of hurdles and label affiliation and pr to even crack into that that realm because there's so few opportunities and so so much fewer there's fewer sites fewer like outlets yeah yeah so, like, and pe people find music differently now and like yeah, that's you guys know more than ever. I mean, you more than anyone about that. But I, I, I remember when Pitchfork wrote about the look of being old that I remember like that being like, maybe the best day of my life that I had had <laughs> at that, on that day. I think I went and bought a guitar that day because I was like, so jacked up. Because that was a huge deal. Like that was just well, yeah, I mean, it's, was, it's surreal to have like a site or you know, any outlet of that size like acknowledge someone who's essentially like a college kid like just like right fucking around 20 know? years old and it yeah. was and it was i remember it i traced it because i was asked someone put it on a mixtape some chicago person like promoter put yeah. it on a mixtape it got picked okay. up by this blog called 20 jazz funk greats which is yeah, we a that really blog. cool blog really still, cool blog still exists yeah still exists wow i'm pretty sure at least amazing. no no amazing. no i think i think that they bounced the emails we sent them recently and they, they wrote a psychotic write-up for the look of being old. i had never read anything like it wasn't even a, it was just describing this like what they kind of saw in their head when they listened to it and it was awesome like i just like i think that's what kind of sold the song and I'm trying to remember like who picked it up. I think it was Larry Fitzmaurice picked it up because he followed it. And I was like, and I just like thought that was, that was just so great. It was, so, it was so cool. And it's, uh, it was just a huge deal for me as a, as a kid, like. Yeah, no that. doubt. Yeah. I mean like any sort of acknowledgement of what you're doing externally, even if it's in the form of like you're describing, like an abstract, like almost like poetic, like, you know, exegesis of it, like, that's huge. Like someone else cares about your shit. Like, like yeah. that kind of 
that kind of like drive or motivation definitely like stems from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So let's flash forward past the live, not past, but like, you know, the construct, it comes out. Is Doug, is there anything else you want to touch on in, in construct world? I mean, yeah, we'll, I, mean yeah. I, I think that we can, so we haven't really talked about the musical content of it that much. I mean, yeah, like break it down. In comparison to like super motives, which is a lot more, um, I feel like a little bit more homogenous and then like a remix at the end on this album, it's like covering so much ground from like instrumental prog to like eighties mall ballads to like ambient pieces and like total drift. And like, I guess the, the question I have is like, how did all these like disparate styles like fit together in your mind? Like you talked about, you talked about how you had much more material than actually ended up on this album. And it's like, how, how did the curation kind of come together this way when like the previous album was very much like kind of similar in tone and similar, just had a much more like here are five tracks and then a remix, but like the five tracks are very much like the same, but here we have like, you know, drift and like Japanese language and then like total just like, shreddery like in the same space and like how did you kind yeah. of curate it um well yeah i i mean yeah super motives was just whatever like i just finished a song and i put it put it up on Bandcamp, and that was when Bandcamp was like really new um and i and yeah. that was like in the post myspace music era right but uh the construct which you know the name is is a william gibson reference um mm -hmm. and i think like when i read it was must have been neuromancer but when i read it it was it was like you know something clicked with me and i think i had maybe finished about half the album and i all of it to me there's something about the construct that like all the tracks it's not a concept album by any means but it all fits into the aesthetic that the album cover kind of like gives you and this was before like the cyber grid was like totally worn out but i do think i do think my cyber grid is a little classier than the other cyber grids and 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 you know <laughs> credit goes to to chrome and lightning for the album artwork that i still actually really love to this day yeah, i don't i don't like artwork. feel i don't feel cringy looking at it all or anything like no, that um but there's there is something to me like you know you were referencing terminal which is like ambient piece like if you take that and you take farthest reaches the opening is like there's obviously a blade runner kind of reference there and on other parts of the album it's kind of like my all of my favorite 80s tropes and aesthetics just kind of getting filtered through the imagery in my head and getting put onto this album and it all ties together for me and it's all it's all different because there are different things that i love about different genres and styles and um and cinematic aesthetic and stuff like that and that all gets filtered and it all makes sense to me on that album um it still all makes sense to me and i really love my favorite actually my favorite track on the album is sky high and love that one that one that one just i think for me like compositionally that and orion beach are compositionally my favorite because i just to me i think like the melody is really strong and like the harmony is really strong and the imagery is really strong. And I think that as I've grown, those are the ones I kind of always come back to. And I think that I'm that those represent me the most still. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think, uh, and I think terminal is actually up there too, because I think terminal, I never done anything like that before. And, you know, that was just a cool kind of thing, but it, it serves as like an interlude in the, in the album. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to say. Well, I mean, I think Doug's point about the, the, the diversity of the album comes down to you actually wanting to sequence together a lot of different stuff, like on purpose, yeah. like, 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 yeah. to make it like a, like a narrative journey that contains all kinds of like peaks and new biomes, like levels, you know what I mean? I, I think, I think of that, that like lends itself to how strong the album is as just like a full, you know, 47 minute or whatever, like, like journey, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, there's like, you know, two Italo tracks on there, like very dancey kind of like Euro Italo disco songs on there, the construct in industry laser games. And there's just, uh, yeah, there's a lot that I, I just, it, it feels very full to me for sure. Well, Italo is definitely a formative influence on not only like pop as we know it, but mm -hmm. also, also on synth wave. Like, uh, you know, like when you're talking about the first wave, I was thinking about how that is like, you know, 20 years removed from like Marauder or something, you know, like, like, or, or, yeah. or you know, like that, th those seeds are present throughout. For like, sure. You know, like, I don't count Georgia Marauder as people might say like, well, that's synth wave. Like that's, it's like I, when I, my synth wave waves start, it's modern, it's more modern revival. Right. But absolutely. Like all that stuff. I was super inspired by Marauder. There used to be these, um, these compilations, I don't know if I ever gave them to you guys, they're called Master of the Universe compilations. And I don't even remember, I think a guy who went by Sakura, Sakura Nights, it was like a MySpace thing. He um, just made these, these compilations that were like, you know, zip files you download on blogs, and they were incredibly formative to D80. Uh, and there was a lot of Italo on there. Hell yeah, sweet. Uh, what are you looking at? <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, just like I think that we uh, we can go to the next sort of chapter, which is like, you know, you made the construct and you kind of made this sort of like imaginary film, basically, is what we've got where we're getting at. Like it's like has the peaks and valleys and sort of like the narrative of like a film that exists in your mind. And then like now your job is to like do this on other people's behalf and like make, you know, make the music for, for film and for TV. And like, did you imagine that this was going to be like the way it would all work out for you? Yes, uh, I did. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is, that is what I wanted to do since I was 13. Um, mm. And it's always kind of been that journey for me. Uh, and I'm very, very fortunate that I am and grateful for just like the people on the way and my family and my friends who, who supported me, um, as I did that. And, uh, it always made sense to me that it was going to lead there. And I'm, I, yeah, I'm just really happy it did, but, but DAD was incredibly, you know, pivotal for me in terms of figuring out my voice, like not even to mention the, the musical, I never expected to like go into film scoring being like i'm going to make that's my thing is i'm gonna make synth wave in my film music which i only do on one project occasionally, um, yeah, yeah. occasionally. but like it all you know it all was just a, it was a form of expression for me and uh 
it, it kind of, it helped me discover a lot of things musically, but so did like, you know, doing the Disney orchestration class at Northwestern, which helped me when I got my first job working for Chris Beck, like the first thing I ever did for him besides like kind of remedial intern tasks was he was like, here's a song to orchestrate. And it's for this Disney movie that we're doing. And like, who knows if it's good. And it was, do you want to build a snowman? And like, I orchestrated that. And like, that was the first thing I fucking did. This is what I've heard factoids about you. It's like, yeah, yeah. Frozen. Like, yeah, yeah it, it went from like, Frozen was actually pre the Construct release. Um, that's insane. That's insane. That's crazy. It's crazy. But that all, all of it, like, you know, comes together. And um, it, it, it helped me like i still i still think that there's people that that listen to dad and they say who know me only from film music and they say oh this all makes sense yeah um and then there's people the opposite who like i just met someone the other day at a live concert and someone uh it was it was a synthwave concert and they knew i was dad and they did not know i did cobra kai that's tight. and yeah. and they and they watched cobra kai and they're like i never knew that I but love you, DAD. And I think that that's like crazy. That is wild. So, okay. So, like, just to clarify your first job with Christoph Beck. That's his name, right? Goes by Chris, but yeah. Chris, Chris Beck. Okay, I, call yeah. him, I call him Chris. Right. And then from there, opportunities just emerge for other, other gigs, other, like, you know, like, like, you know, can you describe how that ascent kind of like? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I worked for Chris for three years and I just like, you know, he was a great mentor and, and I learned basically everything that I know about film music. Yeah, I didn't learn about film music in Northwestern. I learned about film music at, at Chris's. And he, he was working on huge movies like Ant-Man and Edge of Tomorrow and the Peanuts movie. This was post-Frozen, like there were so many projects and I think I, I ended up getting a gig. He was going to take a sabbatical in 2015, just kind of like close up shop for a bit. I think he was wiped and uh, we all kind of like left. There was like an exodus and uh, me and Leo, who is my current partner on a lot of projects, Leo Bierenberg, we worked together there. We met there. We did some stuff afterwards, but it really was grinding from about 2015 to 2017 of just like doing documentaries and short films and small TV shows and things like that, that would kind of help pay the bills. And it wasn't until, you know, 2017, when we saw that Cobra Kai was getting made, we had an agent, we said, Hey, can you just like send this stuff, like a reel to the guys who make Cobra Kai? Can you just send this reel to them? We knew nothing. We didn't know like Ralph Macchio was in the show. We knew nothing. We just said, this is like what we think the show should sound like. And um, I don't think it was the top, but DAD was maybe the second track on there, on that reel. Yeah. So like, and I don't remember what song it was, but it was like, that was kind of part of the vision. Like, you know, we, Zach and, and like, we do a very cinematic thing, me and Leo, but like Zach does the 80s thing. Like, and he did an eighties album and NPR wrote about it. And like, that was like kind of yeah, the bone of yeah. days that we needed. And, you know, they just heard this never happens by the way. Like they heard the reel and they said, come on in for meeting. We you, met you, with them. We were so you, like blindly like contacted them. Yeah. Super, super blind, 
super yeah. blind. I mean, our agent did it, but yeah. like we meant I, the amount of blind things that we send off is just infinity. Yeah. And uh, we met with them and we just like totally were on the same page with everything. And like their vision was obviously just so incredible. And they just loved where we were coming at from a music standpoint. And they really appreciated that we were like such 80s people. And we just kind of knew how to do this, but like update it too. And they gave us like the gig, like right after the meeting. And that never happens. Normally you wait for like two weeks, three yeah. weeks, a month. Um, and then, yeah. And then just since that. They, they like, they were so down with like all this stuff. I was like, you know, I, okay. So then I felt like I had this duty to the synthwave community now, right? Like <laughs> Karate Kid is a huge source of synthwave influence, obviously. And I was like, here is, here's the point where like, I could, I can take some, some of this stuff and turn it into like something that everyone can see. And even in season one, like into the credits of the showrunners, like they were down and there's a lot of synthwave stuff in Cobra Kai. And now it's like synthwave plus like orchestra, which is kind of the, always what VAD should have been. Yeah. Wait, so I can't like quite piece together the timeline in my head, the overarching timeline, but Stranger Things hits like when? Like 20 years. Stranger Things hits before Cobra Kai. So that's okay. Stranger okay. Things hits like, I want to say 20. I want to say late 2016, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Internet says by 2016 is season one. And the reason why I mentioned that, obviously, is because that gets the 80s aesthetic. Yes. In the culture once again, you know. Deep, deep. And like, you know, like every single, even like huge AAA, like prestige movies start having like arpeggiated, like bleepy soundtracks. Yes. Instantly, instantly, you know. So it's like, I think that. Not not necessarily exclusively, but that definitely sets the stage for someone like Cobra Kai to come along, right? And like and like totally. I mean, mind that that you know thematic like you know depth. A hundred percent. And Cobra Kai also has the what we were doing differently was like we had the first of all, it doesn't take place in the eighties. Stranger Things take place in the eighties, and right. like credit to them that they were like, let's just do something that sounds like the eighties. But again, like there that eighties. There's something about that music that is also nostalgic of a time that like didn't quite exist, right? It's all in that it's all in that synthwave ethos. But Cobra Kai had the hair metal influences, the shred influences, right, right, yeah, you know, and then of course the like Bill Conti influence, like the the actual orchestra film scorey type stuff. So we were all, we we definitely capitalized on we tried to to kind of capitalize on the on the Stranger Things at least at least with the network and the studio side to be like, right. Hey, you can accept this because there's, there's like, a market for this kind of like, like this, this thematic like idea. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, and I felt what was nice about it is like, I felt like I wasn't jocking anyone's style because I've been doing it for so long. Word. Yeah. So like I, I never felt like insecure about it. And I would never compare the Cobra Kai soundtrack to stranger things in terms of the, 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 the no. nuts and bolts at all. Right. right. Totally different styles. But I'm just thinking, I guess about like the, the, the the mood cloud of like 80sness or something you totally know? totally i mean when stranger things came out like the amount of people that sent me that theme you know like people yeah. that heard that and were like zach probably would fucking love this <laughs> yeah. sure. totally so now that you're like your job every day is working on music for other people's projects like do you work on any music that's your zach music at home when the day is done 
No. No. I'm too tired. <laughs> uh, no, you know, like here's the, okay. I, I, well, in 2019, I did like a surf rockabilly album, which I did just for fun. <laughs> and I always wanted to play that live, but then COVID happened and then I just never got it together. But yeah. that was the last kind of instance of me just writing for fun. But the other side to that is that I, I think am incredibly lucky that the things that I work on, I am very creatively fulfilled by. Yeah. And there's a lot of composers who work on job, uh, most composers probably work on jobs that they, they clock in, they clock out and, yeah. it, and it's, and it's music that they don't feel like super, not necessarily proud of. It doesn't feel like it's their, I don't know, voice. Because you're, the guys, as you said, because it's like, you're not, you are, you're always collaborating with other people in this job. And like, it's never just you. And there's like a lot of time compromise compromises everywhere. Like, yeah, totally. And, and throwing out stuff that you love happens every day. Yeah. So that to a lot of people is crushing. And, uh, I don't, but for me, again, I'm so lucky that the projects I work on at the end of the day, most days, I walk away with something that I feel really good about. And that gives me the fulfillment. Um, I don't feel like I need to, there's stuff that I always want to write. Like, yeah, I thought about doing more DAD, but to be honest, like Cobra Kai is kind of just like scratch that itch for me. Yeah, Like yeah, I'm yeah. doing, I'm doing DAD for six years on this TV show that is watched by millions of people. Like I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel that need to do that, but I do feel like, I, you know, I always think about like, it'd be really cool to do like a city pop album or something. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But there's, but I, I really, I, on every project that I do, I try to find, you know, I try, I try to scratch those itches and like Leo and I just did a show called Florida man, which you guys would dig the soundtrack to. You should check it out. Cause it's, it's like, it's it's like there, we we recorded like a bunch of tracks with a bunch of amazing musicians and it's like this acid jazz kind of like chick korea freeform yeah. exo exotica like jazz music and it's it and it's for a show yeah. Hell yeah. and like i think Wait, and, this and, show is, is out now like it exists it's, it's out now it's out oh, now okay. um yeah. and 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 twisted metal is like that's upcoming that isn't coming out but like has a lot of new metal like influences like six string basses and is like very like corn blood vein style yeah blood vein, yeah so we like really lean into that and like that finding all of that with the projects i do is is so fulfilling i just don't feel the need yeah, right now that's incredible yeah, yeah like that's yeah. that's that's the dream like that's that it's that's, the dream it's truly of. the dream uh, yeah. it's truly mm -hmm. dream and 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 like we have another project coming out called obliterated which i think will be out by the end of the year which will be on netflix and it's i'm so stoked for everyone to hear it and see it because i think the show is amazing but the music is stuff that like i've never done before it's like hardcore edm it's like michael Ooh. came in michael came in in 1992 going on like a vegas drug bender hell yeah um and it, like it is off the walls hardcore edm with orchestra and uh is this, it's is this awesome you, is this you with leo or is this you this is me with, this is me with leo um and i feel like with leo like we do like the really out there stuff like i think we yeah. we that's the kind of brand that we're trying to, to do and 
on my own right now, I just did like a documentary series called Wrestlers about like a semi-pro wrestling troupe. And uh, I'm really proud of that too. And the music's very like beautiful, kind of orchestral, like ballet juxtaposed with images of just 300 pound men. Like, hell yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's awesome. But it's again, like, yeah, I'm just like hitting these different musical boxes. The best part of my job is doing one, a genre one day and another genre the next day. Like that's yeah. all, I, all I could ask for. Yeah, for sure. That was a very long answer to your question. No, no. I mean, this, my question. this exists, this, this, the Housey Mountain podcast exists <laughs> to hear our friends and guests tell us about their lives, you know what I mean? And their, mm. their heart. So you can ask for nothing less or nothing more. Wait, so can we go circle back to obliteration? Is that what it's called? Oblit obliterated. Obliterated. What, what can you tell us about when that comes out or what, what the story is? With that? I have no idea. I have no idea when it comes out, but the elevator pitch is basically there is a, um, there is a elite squad in Vegas, uh, that diffuse a nuke and they, uh, and it's not a spoiler. They diffuse the nuke and they celebrate in Vegas the way that you celebrate in Vegas. And it is, uh, it's basically like 24 meets the hangover and they, and they find that. out and they find out that the real bomb is still out there, but they're super fucked up. That sounds awesome. So, oh, yeah. so it's like, so that's, it I don't want to give too much. A movie? It's, it's, a, it's a TV series from the guys who do Cobra Kai. And it is, oh, uh, yeah. it is so good. I think it is so good. Right. So I'm excited. I don't know when it's coming out. I don't know and anything about Twisted that. Twisted Metal has a release date, right? Like it's Twisted it's, Metal is late July. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's so close. I know. And it's a lot yep, a lot of cars blowing up, a lot of clown stuff. <laughs> we're, we're, we're big on that over here. We're big on clown Definitely stuff. big on clown stuff. Oh yeah. What was the clown? I'm a I'm a, I'm a big fan of puppets also. Like, big fan of puppets and <laughs> don't put that link in the in the show notes. <laughs> did did wait, what was the clown uh what's the clown artist? The Doug yeah, yeah, I was managing oh, the clown man. man. Yeah. Oh yeah, Doug is the manager <laughs> of the clown. Man. He's he's gone missing. He's gone completely. He's, gone, he's out in the woods right now. It's been a yeah. while. Oh, he's man. Like, he's back like like the Unabomber right now. Like yeah, yeah. dude. I've been worried, man. but it's been a few years, so I, I honestly haven't thought about him. That's a blast from the past. Yeah, damn. <laughs> Doug's damn. history. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's like, what's coming up? What are you excited about? Um, other than these couple of things you talked about and like, what, what are you trying to do musically going forward this next decade? Ooh, oh, dude, oh. decade? Oh, baby. Zoom out. Wow. We just recapped oh, the last zoom 10, 15 That's years. That's true. So now, yeah, like, I don't know. Now we're just zooming zoom out. out. I got to do it. Look, this year has been really great. I'm I'm really excited with all the stuff that's happening this year and that's going to come out. It still hasn't come out, but I've worked on so much that, that hasn't come out. So I'm excited for all that. And I, I would like to do, look, I'd like to do a movie and bigger movies. Like we just did Weird Al Yankovic Story, which was an amazing, amazing project. And Al is, is a homie. I call him and Al now. Yeah, I call him <laughs> Al, and we just did an Instagram live together. We're like doing any promos. He's he rules. He's awesome. Um, and I just, but I want to just keep finding projects that I, you know, I really want to do horror. Like I don't do enough horror. I love horror. Be I love horror. Hell, yeah. And man. I think I think horror soundtracks give you the most freedom to do kind of weird yeah. shit. Yeah. So I really want to do that, and I just want to 
just keep finding like new projects that I can do new things and find new creative outlets for. Um, and I'd like to play live again, doing something. I don't, we did these Cobra Kai live shows, which is super fun. I'd like to do this Ventura dives rockabilly show one day. Can you tell um, us about the Cobra Kai, like, like, like the ensemble that you're working with or like, yeah, we do live. It's me on guitar. Leo plays Iwi, which if you're a fusion person, you know, is an uh, electronic wind instrument. Yeah. yeah. It's like a MIDI sax basically. So, uh, and then we have a keyboardist and a drummer and a bassist and a backing track. And then on one occasion in Spain, we played with a, 45 piece orchestra and a choir, which was Hell yeah. unreal, un, <laughs> unreal. Um, we're trying to do that in LA, but it's expensive. So yeah. if somebody Netflix pays for it, maybe we'll, we'll do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. And I, I hope that, uh, I never, people ask me all the time about DAD and like, whether it's going to happen again. And I say, never say never. But no. I just don't think if it comes back, I don't think it would be the same kind of, of course. thing. Well, because then you have to you have, you have to draw a distinction, like you were saying, between the work that you're doing that contains all of the kernels of DAD and like whatever DAD would be. It would be like just you know maybe too similar in a way or something. You know, like totally, totally. It makes me feel really good though that like the construct has kind of just weathered these past 10 years and and still like i mean i see the spotify follows like for an album that came out 10 years and is in completely inactive artist yeah like it's still on spotify playlists like official playlists it's still getting like streamed a lot and it makes me feel really good and the tape you know people i see pictures of the tape all the time um, yeah. and it has, and it has a vinyl release too, through electric dream Records. So like, which was right. It was during COVID it was 2020 when that came out. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, what more could I ask for? Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you for being our dear homie for over a decade and I mess with man. everything you do, my man. And I miss you guys so much. I miss, yeah. I miss like seeing y'all play live and. I just want to say to all the listeners, like Doug and Max are not only two dear friends of mine, but they are maybe just the most fun people to talk about anything with. Okay. And like, I just miss our conversation. And this was very special to talk about all this stuff. Same way, my man. Back at you. Back at you. Love Thanks. you very, very much. Love you. Everyone, yeah. um, we're going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. Zach, we love you. Thank you so love much you, for hanging out with us today. And, um, yeah, check out the construct on uh, Spotify on Bandcamp. It is sold out uh, physically uh, from us. I don't know about the LP from Electric Dreams, but um, definitely an album that we're all still super proud of together. And yep. uh, just uh, yeah, can't thank you all enough for hanging out today. Cheers! Thanks, boys. <laughs>